Hi, I'm Dr. Jackie Fenton, and this is Your Health Matters. I'm so excited for this week's episode. I interviewed my dear friend, Dr. Rachel Rourke, who is a physical therapist that works at Howard Head in Vail, Colorado. And more specifically, she works with the U.S. Women's Ski Team. And I wanted to do this interview and a couple more interviews with other um, physical therapists that I know to give you an idea of what possible worlds that physical therapists can work in. And it is a lot. Uh, Rachel and I went to physical therapy school together, and it was just so fun to talk to her about her work in women's sports. So without further ado, here is my interview with Rachel. All right. Hi, Rachel. Hey, Jackie. (laughs) Thanks for uh, being on. Your Health Matters this week. Uh, I'm really excited to have you here. I gave a little intro before um, we started this interview, and though I'm just going to give another little intro. So I know Rachel from physical therapy school, and um, even even more importantly, she married my husband and I, which is so amazing. And yeah. I'm really excited to have her on the podcast today to share her expertise around sports and what she knows about athletics in physical therapy. Um, so Rachel, if you don't mind uh, sharing a little bit about yourself, how um, you got into this world. Um, I'm Rachel Rourke, originally from Michigan. I have lived in Colorado for the last eight years practicing physical therapy. I did a sports residency at Howard Head Sports Medicine in Vail, where I stayed and now have been working for six years this summer, which is wild to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think let's start with, let's actually start with residencies because I think that some people don't know that physical therapists actually have, uh, residencies now. Um, so there's a lot of different ones. There's orthopedic, there's, is there, it's acute, acute care, right? I think pediatric residency and then, yeah, pediatrics. And then uh, Rachel did a sports residency. So could you share a little bit about your experience with that? Sure. Um, I had been working as a physical therapist for about two years and was pretty sick of not really knowing what I was doing. I feel like I came out of school as a generalist and was treating all kinds of people. I had a lot of questions. I knew where to go for research and some resources, but I really had like application questions. So Um, I applied to just one sports residency. Um, I was living in Colorado already, so, and I didn't want to leave, um, and applied to Howard Head Sports Medicine's residency program. Um, It was about 13 months, and we spent time going over each joint individually, knee, shoulder, hip, foot and ankle, spine, and then some special topics, um, and spent time individually with mentors. We did labs, we did lectures, we had exams. Um, And then ultimately it prepares you to sit for the sports um, specialty exam. And in that time, we did a bunch of um, obviously sports related activities. And we covered games, matches of all kinds. (laughs) 
And we had a really awesome experience with the U.S. ski team um, where I went to Park City for six weeks and worked with the aerials team. Um, I worked side by side with their athletic trainer and we covered practice at the um, water ramping and then in the gym and then just did treatments afterward. So that's really what got me to where I am today. That's awesome. Um, so with that, so now you work with the U S women's ski team. Um, and so how, so when did you start traveling with the U S women's ski team? I, I think it was about five years ago. So after that experience with the residency, I graduated the residency, um, was hired on full-time with Howard head. And then that fall was invited to do a 10 day, maybe 10 day tramp trip to Switzerland and did that came back. I loved it. I was totally overwhelmed by the experience, but was really excited to do more. And then the next year was invited for three different camps, like a month at a time, six weeks at a time. And then I've been doing that pretty much ever since pretty regularly every year. That's awesome. Um, where, as an aside, where do you think your favorite place you've traveled so far with the ski team? I would, I would probably say New Zealand. It's the farthest away. It feels a little similar to the U.S., but kind of the best parts of all the U.S. jammed in one small island, which is pretty cool. Um, and just navigating the island was awesome. Traveling that far was challenging, but I think it has to be my favorite. Plus, it's English speaking, so it's really easy to navigate. Yeah. I feel really naive as a traveler going to th- places like Austria and Germany, Italy, and I don't really speak the language at all. So I'm working on it. I'm on Duolingo as much as I can. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love New Zealand. I am. I when I went on my honeymoon with Mike, like that that place is seriously. It's so magical, isn't it? Yeah. Like the the landscape is just unreal. And then on top of that, the people are so nice. They're so welcoming. We stayed in the most amazing places. We went to Lake Wanaka and Arrowtown. Did you guys go there? I went to Wanaka. I didn't go to Arrowtown. Oh, Arrowtown is like a sweet little like storybook town where you just walk around and there's a little pharmacy and beautiful backdrop of mountains in the background and there's a ski hill like 20 minutes away it's pretty cool that's awesome that's super fun um so what does what does a typical day look like when you are out with like traveling with the ski team it really depends on where in the world we are So in Belgium, we've trained indoors. They have an indoor facility. So those tend to be really, really long days of training and testing equipment and stuff like that. But um, on average, a typical day is a really early wake up. You pack everything that you might need for yourself and for the team as far as like prepping them for warm up. I always bring a bunch of stuff in case of an injury um, and then a little stool for me to sit on as many jackets and sunscreen and hats as I might need, depending on the weather. Um, and then we go out and the women train as much as they need to, as much as they're planning that day. I just try to stay warm. I stay dry, stay hydrated, whatever the weather's like that day. And then, um, we come back in, usually have lunch. The girls do their, um, 
dry land. The women do their dry land. And then I do treatments and then group uh, meeting and then dinner and then bed. And then you do it all over again, pretty much as many times as we need to. And then race days are pretty similar, just a little higher stress and usually earlier mornings and like longer days, depending on what race it is. Um, but <clears throat> I feel like my main job on a race day is to stay as calm as possible and be there for whatever the athletes need. So, and so, um, on a race day, what might, what might they need from you? Um, usually not too much. I try to be a very calm presence at the start. Um, so I'm basically with them when they're warming up at the start of the race. Um, I have a water bottle if I need. I have bands for them to help warm up. I do whatever warm-up techniques that they like. They kind of have their own routines. Um, and then I cheer them on before they race. Occasionally, they'll need a Band-Aid or tape or, you know, some other small side, but hopefully nothing more than that. Um, and then if there's any injury, which usually there's hopefully not on those days because they tend to just warm up a little bit and then race. And then right. usually if they have a second run, that's a good day. And then if they place, they podium even better. So hopefully nothing, yeah. but I'm there in case of anything. So yeah, got it. Um, so do you ever help them like program their own warm up routines or is that something that they get just like they have a specific thing that they like to do based on like their body? Yeah, I would say I have a little input. I think you know, I've come into some of their careers way later on. So they have something established that they really have found to be helpful or depending on what injuries they've come back from recently or even like long-term injuries. But um, I would say more so they know what their body needs usually at this level, they're pros. Um, yeah. But occasionally they take my input based on what we found in treatment sessions and stuff like that. Okay, cool. Um, and then when you do treatment sessions for them, well, first off, how many women are you traveling with? That also depends. Okay. Um, it's a pretty small team. Usually occasionally there's development athletes that join. Um, but it can be even as little as three athletes. Usually it's more like five, six. Um, it just depends on the year and depends on where we are and where those athletes are in their lives. Some of them are in school, so they can't come to every camp or they come later on. So it really depends, but it usually tends to be a pretty tight knit group of people. Yeah. Got it. Um, and so when you do your treatments, how long are your, are your treatments for, for them? I usually, I usually set aside 30 to 45 minutes. Like if it's two athletes, I can treat them up to an hour if they really need it. Cause they're working really hard and pushing themselves. So sometimes it's, you know, neck, shoulder, back and knee that just need little tweaks and adjustment and just really loosening things up after a long day of training and working out. Yeah. Yeah. Very different than like when we're in the clinic because right in yes. the clinic, we can only treat particularly with insurance. You can only treat one body part at a time. Right. And then right. like with an athlete, like especially with a pro athlete, you got to get all right. the things in because training is very hard on the body and they need the things to, to recover. Yeah. Um, okay. So what, when they do like their dry land stuff, 
do you help with the programming with that at all? Or is that mostly like the athletic trainer? They have a strength coach that works with them. So um, for the group that I'm working with now, they have a strength coach who he programs them year round basically and is in communication with the coaches and occasionally me, depending on if they have an injury or something we're working with that they need to avoid certain things. Um, But he programs all their stuff year round. So he knows what they are working on as far as, you know, racing or training or off days or off season. Um, so he builds that. And then I actually don't, I'm usually pretty hands off with that. If they need help with something or if they have questions, I'm available, but most of the time they're really on top of it. So I'm mostly hands off unless I have some suggestions or something's going on. Yeah. Um, I feel like with with strength stuff while physical therapy we do strengthening unless we have a very specific focus in it it's like a whole it's like a whole bag within itself it's a huge bag especially when it comes to professional athletes like I'm leaving that to him because that's his specialty and I can give some you know recommendations based on someone's past or their injuries that they're working with but I try to just you know, observe from the outside. And if I see any big red flags, which I haven't with their current strength coach, he's awesome. So um, I'll, I'll say something if there's something to be said, but other than that, I let him do his work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So when you are back, like in the clinic, uh, do you see any of the ski team at the clinic there? Or is it more just like the patients that are coming into Howard Head now? So this year I've seen a bunch of ski team athletes, not specifically from the discipline that I typically travel with, but um, because of our, we have a contract with the U.S. ski team and a lot of the physicians we work with are also contracted with them. And they're also just awesome surgeons. Um, The athletes really seek them out and then end up staying. And we do some rehab before they return home or go back to Park City. Um, We also work with a lot of the local smaller um, academies and stuff that, you know, eventually those, those athletes become the U S ski team athletes. So, um, it's pretty cool to work with some of those developmental younger athletes who really have the drive and you see them looking up to the U S ski team athletes. So, um, definitely at Howard head, I see all kinds of people locally, a lot of skiers, obviously because of our location in Vail, but, um, and then those academy kids and then U.S. ski team kids and then professional athletes of all different sports. It's a pretty great place to be. Yeah. This is not an ad for my <laughs> company, but. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's pretty great. It's yeah. just pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what injuries do you think happen the most with with uh, professional ski skiers? Um, this year especially was a really bad year for injuries unfortunately for a lot of athletes and we I mean there's been everything head to toe but I would say overall it's mostly knee injuries they're going at a high rate of speed with a long board attached to their foot feet so the likelihood of something catching and twisting and falling and running into a fence and all kinds of crazy stuff Um, multi-ligament knee injuries meniscal injuries are really common Tib fib fractures. Um, I mean, I've seen every, I've seen a lot of stuff this year. Labral shoulder labral tears. 
There was a neck frac, couple neck fractures, some concussions. Oof. So it's really head to toe. It could be anything, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Well, they are going like at high speed, so yeah. It just it it when there's an accident, it's not it's not great. Yeah, we try not to have those, and right. I try to keep that out of the athlete's mind because I want them to be able to focus on what they're doing. But in the background, I'm constantly like, just get down. Just don't hurt yourself. I want you to win, but I also just don't want you to hurt yourself. Mostly. Right. Let's keep you safe. Really? Yeah. hundred yeah, um, percent. So would you, so yeah, COVID definitely threw a wrench in it Yep. for people this year. What do you, um, so obviously like injuries have impacted things. Um, it just was probably harder to get on the slopes, right? This past year with everything. It was a very interesting year for that. I think individually for certain people, it was hard because some people unfortunately did get COVID and then weren't able to return to training or return to racing until that was over with. Um, And it kind of changed throughout the year what the protocols were. But at the beginning, we were testing twice a week. We were testing before we traveled. We were testing before races. We were testing all the time. And that was part of my job this time was to coordinate the testing and take people's temperatures twice a day and check in with everyone and make sure no one was lying to me about their (laughs) symptoms. (laughs) Luckily no one was, but, um, actually in some parts of the world, it was almost easier to get on, um, the hill just because they were closed except for to professional racers. So we were just in, we were in Italy in February for world champs and there weren't spectators. There was no one else on the hill except for professional athletes and all their staff. So in some ways it was really hard and individuals, it was really hard, but, um, overall they got a fair amount of training in the end. It was just a lot of coordinating and planning and schedules and changed flights and COVID tests and all kinds of crazy stuff. So, yeah. Um, how did the athletes feel about not having like spectators and stuff this year? In some ways it was, I don't know that it was better. I think it's it's pretty inspiring to hear that roar of a crowd as you come over a hill. I mean, even standing at the top, I, I stay at the start for the race and you can hear when someone gets close to the finish line. I just got chills even talking about it. It gets so loud and it's so exciting. But in other ways, I think it was helpful for some people, especially some of the newer athletes to really focus on what they were doing individually and not the sound of the crowd and all the people walking around and the DJ playing crazy music at the finish, you know, so they could really get in to their zone and be able to focus. Yeah. That's awesome. So I follow a lot of like, um, you know, the pro women and pro men for tennis. And it was really interesting because I would say, especially with the higher level pros, a lot of them had to drop out of tournaments this year because of injuries, because, there was so much like you have to quarantine in your room and you can't go out of your room. And so then they don't get access to all the equipment that they need to use to train and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, like they have to be on the, on the tennis court expected to perform at the level that they were performing at like prior to all this craziness. So I've seen a lot more of like the, particularly like the top 100 players are just getting a, a lot more injuries than they, than they would have in the past. 
it was a pretty interesting year for ski racing. So the summertime historically is a really big chunk of time for them to, you know, really get strong and really fit. And then they do some camps to be on the snow. So they stay fresh in their legs, but, um, they had a longer time to get really fit and really strong. And some of them definitely took advantage of that. And then we saw that when they were, you know, on the hill. But then on the other hand, there wasn't as much time necessarily for them to be skiing. I don't know, really. I think we need to like take some time and look back at what happened this year to really reflect on why there were so many, many injuries. Because I, I don't know that it was the same in ski racing as it was in other sports because they people got really strong and really fit and still got on skis maybe not the same amount but I don't know I think we have to do a little retrospective analysis on that to really say what happened and why yeah Yeah, for sure I think that um I also think the other interesting thing with skiing as a sport is like you have to have you have to have access to the snow so I feel like I don't know for sure you can correct me on this but I feel like because they're not going to be in the snow all the time, they do actually have these long yep. breaks from skiing. So their body is able to tolerate that and be able to get back to skiing. Yep. I have to say, I barely recognize some of the athletes in the airport this year. So I went in the beginning of September after their huge strength block before we went and got, you know, a lot of skiing in, in the, that block um and I barely recognized them because they were so fit they were so strong and I was like is that you wow you guys you guys look really good because they got to spend so much time off snow yeah they did like 10 days twice in the summer maybe three times in the summer but um they did have a break as far as their sport specific stuff and just got really fit So it's an interesting thing compared to other, you know, gym or pool or whatever base that you can do any time of the year. Yeah. And overtrain. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an interesting point too, because I think that this is something that's, I know particularly that you probably know about with like athletes, like teenagers and stuff, the need to not just be specializing in one mm-hmm. sport, like it's really um, essential to cross train to, to cross train. Yeah. And and not be playing like your sport all the time. Yep. Diversification is so important for young athletes. It's crazy. It's also amazing to me how many ski racers can't like kick a soccer ball. Not the group that I work at with actually. <laughs> they play all sports really well. It's pretty embarrassing that I can't keep up with them at all. They play spike ball tournaments on some of their dry land days. And I'm like, I can't play with you guys. You're too competitive and you're too good. Like, I'm going to go for a walk. (laughs) I'll see you guys (laughs) later. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's funny. Um, do you, do you have to at Howard head when you're like in the clinic, do you have to talk to, uh, families at all about the importance of diversifying stuff for any of the kids that you see? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, some of them naturally are just because we do live in a mountain town. They're bikers and hikers and they play soccer and then they ski, you know, so they do it all a lot. Um, What's more interesting, I mean, I I don't know that I can convince 
a lot of the other parents who come from other areas. So um, in Vail, just based on our physicians who draw people in from all over the world, we get people who are like convinced that their 15 year old kid is going to be the next quarterback for the new England Patriots. Like, and there's nothing I can do to change their mind. And I'm not going to, because there's no, just, there's no purpose of it. I mean, I'm going to waste my time explaining diversification to this dad. Who's like, great. He's going to play for the Patriots. I don't care. See you later. Thanks for your testing results. Bye. You know, that doesn't, right. <laughs> that's not going to work. I try, I've tried, but um it's nice living in a mountain town where the parents tend to be mountain athletes too, who love mountain biking in the summer, love hiking in the fall, can't wait for skiing. And then, you know, camping yeah, <laughs> in between. Yeah. You get to, you get, well, in Vail. Yeah. You get to do it all, which is really, <laughs> which is really nice. Super nice. Yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, it's super important to just really diversify what what you're doing as you're growing up because then you just get into these patterns and you put more strain on your muscles and your ligaments way earlier than needed, especially because you're still growing and then you start seeing these injuries right. pop up uh, like way more than. I mean, it is amazing to me how many eight, nine, ten year olds I've seen with like MCL injuries because they're, you know training to be a mogulist and it's like oh my gosh these poor kids knees when they're 30 it's gonna be really tough life when you're getting you know pretty decent sized knee injuries at eight nine and ten right yeah that's it's super wild you're like what i think Um, some of our strength coaches do a pretty good job of um mixing things up you know creating creative games that include just running around and playing soccer and other things within their structured strength programs that kind of help that hand-eye coordination and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The nice thing about working where you work, (laughs) all that stuff. That is correct. Yeah. (laughs) It's not, it's not so common to have all of those things other places. (laughs) I know. I've been noticing that lately. That's a trend I've noticed in my life. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, I think it's something to, to really look at though, like in other areas of the country, when we're looking at like athletes and stuff, looking at, um, you know, a a big team coming together to support, to support like the healthy growth of athletes. Like it can't just be it can't just be the coach, you know, saying like, this is the way and you have to, you have to do it this way. Like you have to have the strengthening coming in, the physical therapist, a good orthopedist, if you need it, if you have like a, like an injury that that's needed to be um, treated or um, even a sports know. psych, I think yeah. having a sports psych on board is awesome. Yeah. Huge. Add to that mix. Yeah. Because, you know, especially if you're trying to get to a certain level, you know, like at a certain point, everyone has the same mechanics. That's not the thing that ends up like yep. holding people back. It ends right. up being the the mentality around stuff. Um, I think another interesting thing about sports psych too is that, um, you know, I've had patients before like teenagers where 
they're saying they're having pain and there's not any necessarily mechanical stuff going on. And that doesn't mean the pain's not there. Um, if you've listened to this podcast before, I've harped on 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 that a million times about pain. And though uh, sometimes the the pressure to perform or the the not wanting to do that do that sport anymore brings that pain on. So it's it's super super important to be working with like a sports psych person. Yeah. Analyzing that. that and breaking that down and being like, what's really going on here? I mean, I think sometimes we get into that. If we have a good relationship with our patients, we can get into those conversations, but having a professional who that's their job is to really, you know, aid that athlete, you know, and in, in digging more into what that actually is, is yeah. an asset for sure. Yeah. Super important. So what do you feel like is needed in, in women's sports right now? What do you feel like is missing? Oh. <laughs> just a loaded, just a loaded question there oh, for you. Oh my gosh. That's a tough one for sure. I think having, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's really hard. It's really hard because I feel like, to break into women's sports, really to like break out, we need the appropriate athletes who are super talented to, you know, make it more of an issue and be like, hey, everyone, we're here doing this, working just as hard, if not harder than all of our male counterparts. And I don't know why nobody cares but we're doing it. I do think in ski racing though, we're pretty lucky because we do have people like Michaela Schifrin and Lindsay Vaughn who have set that standard and put themselves out there and people really appreciate who they are and what they do and are huge fans. So I think ski racing is a little bit different because of that. I definitely think having positive females, not only as athletes, but also coaches physios, doctors, physician, you know, physicians, orthopedics, whoever to be in a positive way can be helpful. I do think exposure is great. I, you know, all of the coaches and the refs and the everyone that's been participating in, you know, football and ski racing for sure. I mean, I feel like what I know most is ski racing because that's what I'm most involved with but I don't know I don't know what the world needs (laughs) I need to wake up a little bit because obviously there are women in the world and doing great things and being wonderful role models for young women yeah and demonstrating good values and I don't know why other people have problems with that still (laughs) yeah you're like what you're like, it's 2021. What's going on here? <laughs> I struggle with that a lot. Um, I don't know. I feel like even sometimes working with women athletes as a woman, the men that can be around don't necessarily respect me as much as they would my male counterparts. Not necessarily at my job, because I don't think that's true at all. I have my patients respect me a lot. I have physicians that respect 
what I do, but you know, there are just people out there that don't and it's sometimes disheartening, but I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because I know what I know is good and what I do is good. So eventually someone will wake up and accept it. (laughs) Right. You're like, I'm going to be here until, until you accept it. So yeah. And that's fine. I don't really care. I mean, I feel like at this point in my life and in my career, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm who I am and you can take it or leave it male or female. So anyway, this was a huge diversion. That's uh, it's perfect. No, that's why I asked the question. Cause I do feel not, I feel, I know that there's just not a lot of women that are like, uh, coaches, physical therapists, um, like strength and conditioning, athletic trainers that are actually in, uh, the pro athlete space. It's, it's definitely dominated, uh, by men right now. I, I agree, except I do think ski racing is moving in the right direction with that. I think, you know, one of the speed coaches, Karen Harjo's really awesome and really well respected by men all over the world. Um, and you know, I'm there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of women in ski racing, especially physios, um, that's what they call it in other countries, physios. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know. I think yeah. other sports might have a little more work to do on that and could take a little page out of the old ski racing women respect book. Yeah. That's, that's really great though, because I, I know I've listened to not, I, you're I think you're my one and only friend. That's a, a sports PT, but I've listened to a lot of a lot of other women that are that are sports PTs like on podcasts saying that they've really had to break into the sports area to actually be um, respected but I think that goes also like a long way not only for like the U.S. women's ski team that 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 you know they're really bringing in women and making sure that that women are are being represented I think that also speaks speaks to Howard Head though as well that they are are big on that which is great I, I mean, in our hospital in general, so we're a hospital-based outpatient clinic, and a ton of our leadership are women. So it's not it's not as bad everywhere. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, which is super great. Okay, so one last question, and this is more. This is this is what I ask my my healthcare people when they come on. Um, what is uh, your hope for like the future of of healthcare? Um, I think there's a few things that could be better for sure. Um, the whole opioid crisis and pain management issue is real. Um, and I think as physical therapists, we have an interesting role in that in educating patients on pain and pain management techniques that have nothing to do with medication. Um, and exercise is a prescription to help, you know, providing our bodies with endorphins, which are real and really help with pain management. Um, I think the world has a long way to go as far as that goes. So I'm hoping with some of the initiatives that I feel are coming and have been out um, to help with that would be great. So, cause I think in like 2019, I read somewhere, I think it was 2019 that 
like 50,000 people died of opioid related overdoses. And that's insane. That's insane. That's crazy. If there's anything I can do to change that, I'm going to change that, you know, and educating patients on, you know, I see it. I do see a lot of post-op patients besides working with athletes. I see a lot of um, patients after surgery and talking to them about strategies for pain medication and um, techniques to help with pain management. Um, I think that's an issue that I'd like to see go away for sure. Um, and using that, you know, collaborative effort from physicians and athletic trainers and PTs and strength coaches and homeopathic medicine practitioners and whatever, whatever works, let's like bring it together and get this thing over with. Yeah, for sure. Cause I think the other big thing is, is that our culture, particularly in, in the U S is, um, experiencing pain is bad or wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is like one of the things that, that I educate on with pain is that pain is a natural part of life. It does not mean that it should run your life and that you feel terrible all the time. That, that obviously does not work. And though there are ways to manage it, like you were saying that are, are not opioids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And kind of what, ties into that as well I think is a preventative way of life is a great way of life um again not to like just spam you on my company but we have really great benefits and things like a wellness program and like wellness screens to really identify where there are some things that can be worked on um and then wellness programs that include nutrition that include sports psych include um working with strength coaches regularly our company actually pays for um, 12-week programs for us to work through strength and conditioning classes and independently or in a group, you know, as because of COVID, people want, don't want to get into a group setting. They can work out from home um, and the tools to improve your life. And then screening opportunities and, you know, working 20 minutes with a therapist to see like, is this something that really I should follow up with a physician about, or is this something that could use, you know, a couple of tweaks, some tips and tricks and a couple of exercises to help, you know, get your on your way. Um, right. All that kind of stuff. I think working towards a preventative way of medicine is somewhere I'd like to see healthcare go. It's going to save us a lot of money and save us opioid deaths and all that stuff as well. Um, which the, includes the last part of what I was going to say is um, collaboration between all different disciplines, Um, physicians, athletic trainers, chiropractors, the whole healthcare scheme, you know, bringing everybody together and communicating makes a huge difference in a patient's experience and will likely improve their short and long-term outcomes. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, communication is so key among us healthcare providers. And I think 
part of the issue right now. Well, a couple issues. I think we have some people that are in the medical system that are like, I know everything. So working with other people is not what I'm going to do. I don't think that's everybody. No. That's everybody. Um, and then I think the other thing is, though, is that uh, particularly in a clinic setting for physicians, for physical therapists, for anyone, we're pretty slammed if we're accepting insurance. So it makes it really difficult to find the time to actually collaborate with our yep. with our colleagues. And so I, I think a shift definitely needs to happen there to give that space so that we can really be the patient-centered care that most of us want. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Because listen, it makes my day much easier if I can say, hey, this is an issue I'm identifying. Can you help with this? Because this is partially, you know, your expertise. And I know you can do this better and faster and more efficiently and effectively than I can. And I actually also have a patient in five minutes, but here, let me give this off to you because this is your expertise. And they're like, great, let me help this person with their brace. We can make these adjustments and we'll update you on the plan of care from there. I'm like, great. Time saver, energy saver. The patient's much happier because they got what they wanted done, you know, and way less stressful. And the world's a happy place. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love your dream for healthcare. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that's, that's like a lot of us. And I think the big thing is, is as, as healthcare providers, like how, because we all do have this vision, how can we come together to actually create this, this vision to, to yeah. happen? Yeah. I think things like, you know, multidisciplinary teams are helpful. Some of the physicians we work with have, you know, PAs, athletic trainers, they have schedulers, they have, you know, you know, practice coordinators who keep everybody kind of in line. And then we all have the phone tree of who, if this is an issue, call this person, you know, and when you've worked with those physicians for a while and you have that good relationship with those people, then you know how to get a task done to help the patient move forward. If you don't have open communication lines with each other, it's going to be a lot more complicated. You're going to end up sending too many emails, sending, you know, spending too much time on the phone and there's frustration with that. So I think if yeah. we can get everybody working together, it'd be a much happier place. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. All right, Rachel. Well, thanks so much for being on your health matters. It was really great to talk to you. I already know how smart and amazing and compassionate of a physical therapist you are. So it was just like a joy to hear you talk about that and, and your love for, for being a PT. Thanks for having me. It, it really is my passion. And obviously when I start talking about it, I can't stop. So I apologize if I, <laughs> Don't, sorry, it's amazing. It's amazing. But thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Your Health Matters. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please give us a rating and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast. If you want more tips and tricks from me about your health, you can follow me at Dr. Jackie Fenton on Instagram. And I really appreciate you taking the time to listen into this podcast. I look forward to talking to you next week.